Welcome to the podcast. It's the worst territory in the world. Personalities, history, and other stories. We know you're craving for more knowledge. Let the champions get their glory. It's the worst territory in the world. All right, welcome in, everybody. It is your favorite time of the week where we talk about the worst of the worst, or possibly the worst of the worst. It is the worst territory in the world. I am your host, Gabe, sitting here with Chris Goff. Chris, we've got a great week. We've got a great interview lined up. How is your Mardi Gras, your Ash Wednesday, all that good stuff? How's how's the season shaping up for you so well, far? You know I love New Orleans, Gabe, so I wasn't able to go to New Orleans, but we had Mardi Gras at the winery here. Uh, had a fantastic, uh, you know, a couple bowls of gumbo and some bread pudding. So it was fantastic. And I'm fatter than before. <laughs> well, last time I talked to you, you were actually on the on your cardio machine. So it shows that you're at least trying to maintain your... You exercise to just stay even. That's what you do in life. <laughs> That's actually a pretty good flaw, especially when you're our age. Like, yeah. Like... The fat just doesn't come off like it used to. You no, know no. Mean? So you, you're like, I want to eat something other than a salad. So I'll just like walk on a treadmill for an hour a day and then uh, maybe I can do that. So, yeah. So you got to cut things out when you get to our age, Gabe. You throw, cut out the alcohol, cut out the fatty foods for most of the time. But when you do, just splurge whenever you can. Yeah. 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 It's all about moderation. You know, I was watching, We, you know, we've gotten a lot of really, I mean, these last few episodes about the NWL, the Lucy Mendez episode, there's been a lot of really great feedback. Like literally I have had people I haven't talked to in years texting me and saying, wow, really love the podcast. Love, you know, the interviews you guys are doing. So it's been really cool. And I went back and I watched, actually, I got reminded of a Magnum Minute um, from, from a while ago. And I've, I've always been a, a larger gentleman. I've been super, super fat at certain points in my life. But man, I was watching this Magnum Minute with me and the Regal twins, and I was fat as shit towards the <laughs> towards the end of the NWL. And you can edit that or whatever. Uh, but I was watching it, and I I was literally like, "Woo, brother! You let the uh, you let the chicken and pickle really get to your hips." Well, so. that's why I'm glad that we don't really put this up in video form because anytime you put anything up in video form, usually, actually, you had the opposite effect. Usually, you look back and you're like, God, I look so young and thin in every other video. And the phrase, um, I wish I was as fat as the first time I was thought I was fat. That is a great phrase because it's always so true. You're like, remember when you were like 21, you're like, God, I'm such a fat ass. And like now you're like 30 pounds more and you're like, yeah, I wish I was that fat again. Like I, 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 you know, obviously doing stuff with CSW and like doing the ring announcing, I look at myself and I'm like, I'm, I'm all right with that. I'm all right with the way I look right now. Cause you know, I work out and, but man, I was, st well, especially standing next to the Regal twins we are all jacked as all get out. <laughs> and then here comes tough. I mean, it was super funny. The whole episode with dad cut his, his hand off. It was wild. And I just remembered like how many vignettes we used to shoot um, in the TPC when we moved in there and we had those game shows that we were doing. We had all this like really fun interactive stuff. And I, I I'm kind of thinking, um, so there was a person that reached out to me. He says he has a lot of those videos. He used to run our website. 
So maybe as like a fun bonus, we could put it up on the YouTube channel or something because a lot of that stuff got missed by the NWL X channel that posted all of our TV shows. So sure. I think it'd be really fun to go back and take a look at some of those like magnum minutes and some of those really fun videos, you know? See, Dak Draper probably copyrighted that because he was the one that went out on his own and actually did that. I mean, that's how, yeah. that's how you know, he he really loved that job, Dak Draper. He loved, like, we'll loved talk it. with him soon about yes. NWL and just his – his uh, path to how he got there and what he's doing since. But uh, yeah, he did those on his own. And so, you know, uh, Jake Durden did the same thing. A lot of those guys went on their own and just shot a lot of cool stuff. But, um, but yeah, it, it was funny when you talk about standing next to the Regals and Dak, it reminds me of, uh, it's sort of the opposite effect of on back to school when uh, Thornton <laughs> Mellon says, if you want to look thin, hang out with fat people. So you did the opposite. If you want to look, if you want to look fat, hang out with hang the Regals and Dak Draper. Right. I'm going right. to look like complete garbage compared to those three. Oh my God. I was like sitting there and I, I mean, now it was kind of funny. Like I, uh, I had a push up contest with one of the wrestlers backstage at CSW and held my own against him. So I was like, things are not, I'm not, I'm not too bad. Who the hell was that? Let's call him out right now. Who did you say? <laughs> no. What was their name? We need I'm to, not going to oh, say. Oh, okay. Not because gonna they're say. not going to live that crap down. I'll tell you that. <laughs> but I mean, I mean that that guy was in decent shape. I mean, not I I couldn't hang with someone like the Regal Twins or anything, but he was in okay shape. And I I went I called it off because I was in a suit, and I'm like, all right, you know, we should stop now. But uh, I feel well, I'll, much- I'll ask Jeremy White about it next time. <laughs> I, I'm just oh, kidding. I'm oh, just you, kidding. oh, did you hear what uh, Jeremy and uh, Ace and somebody else were like watching me eat pizza, and they were just shaking their heads at me. And I was like, <laughs> you guys are such dicks, dude. Uh, well, that's, that's rest. That's a wrestling locker room right there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, wrestling locker rooms, I mean, there's a couple of news and tidbits I wanted to talk about. Um, before we went on the air, I talked to you about asking you if you had watched elimination chamber, um, because and my response it, was what? I'm not going to watch that shit. Yeah. Okay. Thank like you. That. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe a little bit more vulgar than that, but we don't want to get, you know, we don't want to have people turning off too much because we've already cursed a couple times on this. Sure, sure. Um, but yeah, I I I like the bloodline story the storyline. I of thought course. that it was I thought it was interesting that say, that there seems to be a movement a la Brian Danielson around Sami Zayn. Um, I really enjoyed the match. I thought it was actually uh one of the better wrestling matches I've seen and because it revolved around the story. And, and I realized something that you had said a long time ago, um, you know, the hold for hold stuff is really great, right? Like Japanese, like, Oh, look, the training holds. But I pop more. And I noticed I pop more in the last couple of years for matches that have a better story than they yeah. are in the, in the ring. So it was just kind of funny. I can see myself getting older and wishing for the days where it was like, I would take the NWO like storyline or like Stone Cold or any one of these old storylines over like, you know, Kenny Omega versus Takahashi because they're like kicking the crap out of each other. And, you know, cause I saw the Will Ospreay match and the Kenny Omega match, which Meltzer gave 785 stars or whatever. It, it was okay. I, but I like the Sami Zayn Roman Reigns match more. We've talked about this, uh, you know. Uh, I don't know. I think we've talked about it at length here. I don't remember because I I say this so much to people that I forget where it <laughs> stops. But 
I Dave Meltzer, as much you know credit as I give him for being a the first big time journalist in wrestling, and still a very I mean the guy works his ass off. He does so many things that are great. You know the tributes and stuff that he does are fantastic. Totally. I mean the history he remembers is awesome. But the one thing that I'll never understand and never agree with him on is the way he rates matches and the way he just completely takes dumps on like uh, anything like storyline related. Yeah, you know, he does not put over anything right. that is uh, a in a pay-per-view or a raw <clears throat> back in the day uh, when we would do a segment that would be lead, you know, cause this is, this is what I loved back in the, in the day, even when I was on the writing team in O2, so let's say Scott Steiner comes in and he's going to have a program with triple H and Scott Steiner at that point had a really big problem with this foot. And then he really, he had issues with just, you know, his body breaking down even at that point. Yeah. Drop foot. Is that correct? Yeah, drop foot. So yeah. it was basically like, his boot would hold his foot back up like this because it would just go like this. It was it was a really strange injury for him to have, and obviously wow. he's a, a athletic specimen and just was an yeah. awesome amateur wrestler. But anyway, at the time, it was like we need to do stuff to not have these two touch until they're actually in a match. And right. so for that reason, we did a lot of camouflaging, which is what they did all the time back in the old school totally. days. You do, I mean, I know people hate contract signings, and but you do the push-up contest, you do the tug of war, you do, you know, all this stuff that's like, you know, arm wrestling competition. Right. You do these things that, you know, they're not actually touching in the ring. They elongate the storyline, make it mean more, make it mean more when they actually get into the ring and wrestle each other. And that's what it used to be about. And Dave Meltzer hates all that. He hates all the filler, which it's not, to me, filler. It's, it's filled up, which I think is good. But he wants fast-paced action all the time. If it's not a great in-ring match and, you know, sort of a, uh, an ex exhibition of moves, then it's not a good match. And it, it, it's always bothered me with Dave because as much as I think he gets a lot of credit and deservedly so, uh, I don't think he does very well on, uh, just like you talked about, sort of putting over the things that make a storyline like the bloodline mean more. I mean, and, th and, and that seems to be a more recent uh, illness with Mr. Meltzer because he loved, like, one of my favorite matches of all time, Shawn Michaels Undertaker. Holy crap, what a match. I could still watch that match and be like, this is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. Shawn Michael from Shawn Michaels from like 1997 to 2003. I mean, that era solidified him to me, like, as like, you know, when he came back with Triple H and started right. doing stuff. I mean, even after 03, because you're talking about Undertaker, then you had Ric Flair, then you had Jericho, you had all these things. But when I, 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 I'm biased because the first match, the biggest match I saw him in was the, it was the, um, Hell in the Cell at uh, Bad yeah. Blood. Yeah, and yeah. like that match was unbelievable. So he's had an unbelievable match with Undertaker, which a lot of people have had great matches with, with both those guys. Dude. But uh, yeah. What I, mean, a, I mean, and he, you know, the famous Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair trilogy that he rated five stars and stuff. I So I think, I, I mean, I got to be honest, you know, there's been rumors swirling around about AEW. And I really think that his friendship with these guys, I'm not saying he's employed by AEW or anything like that. But I think his friendship with like the Young Bucks and all those guys, because I saw him at PWG shows in Reseda. And I think his friendship with those guys has has changed his perspective on what makes a really good match. So now it's it, now it is more. So, I mean, he always rated the All Japan stuff, five stars, all that kind of stuff, which those matches are different than the hold for hold matches that we see now, which are more like gymnastics exhibitions, you know? No, I, I agree. I mean, like. I, I know I hate, I hate beating this drum all the time, but right. and unfortunately, um, whether it's, you know, whether it's, it's like CNN or Fox news, whichever one you want to bash, 
It's like <laughs> you get it from Dave Meltzer and it's sort of played as gospel in the wrestling world. Right. And like I said, he's earned that to a degree, but it does bother me that he does let his personal biases go into all of those judgments of, that he puts in his newsletter. Because, I, you know, frankly, I just think that um, he enjoys that kind. He enjoys Japanese wrestling. He doesn't need any kind of talking. He doesn't need any kind of right. sort of like flavor sizzle to the steak. He just wants the steak all the time, which to me may, makes the steak mean way less more, uh, you know. But, uh, you know, we'll always agree to disagree. But I love storyline involvement. I think what's interesting about Sami Zayn now is that, I think they were so ready to have Cody come back and just be the number one baby face. And now you got Sami Zayn who's been built up so well through this bloodline storyline that it's like, you know, in a different world and not when Vince McMahon's alive, I could see Sami Zayn becoming like the champion at some point. Uh, but it's a part of me also is it's hard for me as an old school wrestling fan to look at Sami Zayn and say, this is a guy that should win a title uh, right. the, the biggest title in the land at WrestleMania. Although uh, the, the crowd reaction in some ways sort of points to that he should. Yeah. I, I, I Speaking of which that's, you might, you must be psychic. So some people are speculating that Vince McMahon is back in the creative seat. Now I know you don't follow the current product as much, but there are a few indicators that at least lead me to believe he wasn't as of a elim elimination chamber, the way some of the things were, were seemingly booked. Do you do you think knowing Vince McMahon is he back in the creative seat? Can he stay out of it? I don't. Can he stay out of it? That'd be extremely hard. But I, I think you're right. There's indications of them hiring back all those people he let go. Uh, he let go of you know before he left the first time, and uh, they're still there, and they're still getting TV time for the most right. part. Right. Um, you know, some things that he put into action before he left are now still out of action today. So, you know, there's things that make you think maybe he's not involved. Um, I, you know, it's like I've said many times, the greatest book never going to be written is going to be what is really going on with the family, the relationships with Stephanie and Shane and Triple H and Vince, Linda, even. It's like, what is going on? I have no idea. I, I guess he doesn't want to neuter Triple H again now. Maybe that's because of the board. Maybe that's because he's on the board still. Um, but and look, either way, it hasn't been knocking my socks off when I even read about the show. Sure. So it's not exactly I, – I don't think it's like, oh, my gosh, Triple H is so involved because it's great. Right. Um, I've always sort of been – this isn't a knock on Triple H because I don't really know if you've seen uh, Triple H's capabilities to its fullest degree, but I always thought it was sort of – um, misjudged that Triple H was like this godsend of a person in NXT because at the time, if you really go back and look at it, they really just signed a bunch of awesome guys oh, in the indies right, and put them in a bunch right. of awesome matches. And then, of course, everyone's like, this sucks, Triple H rules. And it just became like, okay, uh, you know, the they, same old story, underdog versus the the big time guy in charge and, and triple H I think got a ton of Liberty thrown his way that way. But, um, well, cause know, they I, never thought they never thought NXT was going to do anything. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought it was going to be what it was. It was going to be a minor league system thing that sort of went around. Right. And of course, when you're signing up at the time, Sammy Zayn, you know, Kevin Owens, whatever, uh, these Mojo, guys, are, all these, there was yeah. a ton of dudes. Yeah. I mean, running a company at the time when NXT started, you see like the the amount of like awesome indie guys were shrieking, you know, like the guys right. who were making the rounds. So now you're so, it's sort of like college basketball. NBA takes all these guys after one and done in college and they go to the NBA. So now you have 
you know, the people that were sort of low to mid carters are now the the main eventers on the indie scene now because all the good indie guys are signed up or AEW or NXT or WWE, whatever one's on it. So, um, yeah, I just it's it, it went down in quality. NXT did. And that was going to happen because they started with such a comparatively speaking great roster. Yeah. Yeah. I And when you look at some of the things that they're trying to put in place, obviously, I think Nick Khan said recently that the deal uh, selling WWE should be done in the next three months or something like that. Like it is, is, does that mean once this deal is done, if Vince doesn't have creative control, he's just going to walk away again. I, I don't see that happening. Well, you know, it depends on who buys it. Like, I mean, honestly, I think whoever they sell it to is uh, going to want to keep them on as a retainer to be some right. kind of consultant or actually run the company. Because at what point are you going to be able to find someone that's going to be able to understand this business? I mean, we've seen it with, we saw it 20 years ago with Nitro. No one at TBS knew what the hell they were doing, even though they acquired this thing. Ted Turner wasn't going to, even though he was the big champion for it, he wasn't going to be the one running the things day to day. So he threw it over to all these sort of middle management, higher executives that have no idea about wrestling, which I even tell people today, they're even involved in sports. Like getting involved in wrestling is nothing like anything else. I mean, it's a, I've been involved in, in baseball and football and other sporting things. Wrestling's nothing like it. It's just, it's like a traveling circus in breed. a sports world. Right. Yes, I know everyone knows this that's listening, but it's just, I, how could you not either keep on Vince, Triple H, or someone from that family on to run the thing? Because at least for X amount, five years or whatever, until right. they can groom someone to take over because right. uh, no one's going to be able to be like, okay, thanks a lot. You gave us the car keys. See you later, Vince, forever. Because <laughs> who's going to, I mean, who's even going to do that now? Like, we, I was talking about this with my friends. Like, okay, yeah, everybody likes to crap on, you know, the old guard, uh, Terry Taylor, Bruce Pritchard, uh, Johnny Ace, like all these guys, you know, even Jim Cornette that doesn't want to do anything anymore. All these guys that are old bogeys don't know crap about what they're doing now who's gonna okay so then who should be the top dog with right. with uh with tony khan who should be the guy that you know is should christopher daniels no knock on him because i like him personally but is, is christopher daniels the guy that should be the head of talent relations like jr back in the day no they're they're apples to oranges i mean because those they, they come from different backgrounds they don't have nearly the diversification that these guys did back 20 30 40 50 years ago so i, I don't know there's not a there's not like a a breeding ground of executives for just wrestling like there was when the territories died out and they're they're all basically old and dying now so you know nick khan he was a hollywood hollywood agent so uh he's really good at pumping up uh you know we i saw these come come and go like the nick khan's game i saw them Stu snyder who helped facilitate buying wcw uh you know these guys are they come in as hired guns to you know fluff the sale up cut some fat from the roster, uh, you know, and the staffing of the company, get it ready for a sale. They're not the ones that are going to be like, here's what I think we should do creatively, marketing, promotional, all this stuff. So right. who knows? I don't know what's going to happen, but I think they'd have to retain them. Yeah, I, I would say so too. And speaking of uh, old territory guys, and then we'll, we'll get to our, uh, we'll talk about our interview with Rob or your, your interview with Rob Schamberger. Um, so thoughts on Jerry Jarrett. So Jerry Jarrett passed away recently. You know, I'm a big big mark of the uh that style of wrestling the old territory wrestling especially memphis uh, especially in the last couple of years become a huge memphis fan um nwa all that kind of stuff what do you think uh, first of all of what jerry because he was largely heralded as a as a genius um when wcw needed help call jerry jarrett when wwf needs help call jerry jarrett when it looked like vince was going away blah 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 
What, what, what do you think about Jerry Jarrett's impact on wrestling? What do you think of his booking personally? If you ever saw a lot of his, his stuff, I thought he was, I thought he was great. I mean, I, I, he was really? in an era where, yeah, I mean, look, uh, <laughs> As much as I like Bruce Pritchard and I love his impression of Jerry Jarrett, yeah. <laughs> where he's actually a well. southern man, like, you know, you got the chicken salad, you know, I dude, I love that. But I mean, when you really step back and even Bruce put a picture of him and Jerry up, obviously when he passed away, Bruce is not making fun of him now. But um, I, I mean, back in that era to do what he did in Memphis, which is not the largest town in the world. And to take like he basically did what Paul Heyman and all these other people are really good at through the years. He took very little and made it into something. He tried to accentuate the positives and, you know, downplay the negatives. You know, I'm, I mean, there's so many examples, but one that sticks out, obviously, is Kamala. When they took this guy that was a, a nothing, Sugar Bear Harris, and made him into Kamala. And, she, you know, shot – I love the stories of hearing that they shot the, the vignettes in his backyard. Yeah, and all this yeah, stuff. yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, that, but that was sort of a coming out of the bush. The, yeah. 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 <laughs> that encapsulates the entire Memphis territory, though. I think they just did what they could. It made it entertaining. Talk about, I mean, Meltzer should have like hated Memphis wrestling because yeah. it was, it was complete, a ton of like uh, song and dance. And I loved, of course, I loved all the, uh, you know, the Andy Kaufman stuff and everything that was taking place in that era. Um, you know, Jerry and Kaufman, Jerry and, and Lawler, and they all were sort of in and out of each other's lives. They'd take breaks, you know, like you've heard all the booking philosophies where, you know, they, they'd flip every six months, like Dundee was involved too. Yep. I just thought he, I just thought he did such a great job with that, with that territory and people in can you know, you think Kansas city fans love Kansas city wrestling. I mean, Memphis fans, that, that's like, I mean, that's lifeblood down there. Jerry Lawler, I don't think would be even where he is now or would have gotten the opportunity with WWE, which propelled him to where he is now, had it not been for his popularity in Memphis. I mean, he is literally royalty there. Pardon the, oh, yeah. <laughs> pardon he the, is. Yeah, I mean, he's yeah, ran I mean, for mayor several times. I know he's never right. won or gotten close to it, but I mean, you know, you got, you got the king of, he called himself the king in the land where Elvis was from. So, I mean, right. lived anyway. So, uh, yes, Jerry Lawler became – and Jerry Lawler is not an athletic specimen or anything like that, but he was made into a huge star down there. Huge. Jerry Jarrett saw – see, I, I I can see and I understand – and Vince was like this too. It sort of shocks me. If Andy Kaufman would have went to the Vince McMahon we knew and not his father, I think Vince would have scooped up Andy Kaufman in two seconds. I mean, this is the guy that put Snooki on WrestleMania, so he would have done it with Kaufman, but the, his father had wanted nothing to do with that. And to his credit, Jerry Jarrett was like – Oh my God, like a Hollywood star wants to do this. Yes, let's let it. And I still, to this day, I don't know how you, anyone could say there was a bigger sort of angle in wrestling than that, really, because I that, completely that, agree. That's a huge part of wrestling. And like, I mean, that was one that I always tell my friends. My, my friends' dads would say, that wrestling sucks. It's all fake, except Andy Kaufman and Jerry Lawler. And I mean, I heard that for decades. And like, I finally had to tell that guy, like, you know, they've come out after Man on the Moon came out. That, that's not real. You know, yeah. they, they still believed it was real. And, but the, uh, the, the mythos of that is so strong, though, that they were even talking about how Jim Carrey was, you know, kayfabe on the set you know what i mean and like he was super into role playing with doing that and right do, right yeah, so yeah. It, it, and that you know him and lawler got snippy with you know it, it it became larger than life i mean they were on letterman and they like coffin was spewing obscenities and i mean this was a really really big it's my one of my favorite angles of all time like top it three has to be 
I mean, it just incredible. And that's what actually got me into Memphis wrestling and actually showed me that Jerry Lawler, like you said, I don't think he's ever worked out a day in his life. I, think I mean, he really proudly says he hasn't. I, I don't think he, he's yeah. just kept he's kept in good enough shape. I mean, he's not like a horrible shape or anything, no. but for a guy that's big. Nah, but I've heard the same thing about Kurt Hennig. They said Kurt Hennig never worked Bull. out. That's Bull. what they said. That but, dude, that dude was off. I, I know, I know, but they, they claim that he was not a big like wow. gym guy. But wow. anyway, I don't know. It's it's a uh it's a territory that obviously will never be replicated. And for, for the size of the town it was and what Jerry Jerry did. And, and it's been talked about since his death. But, I mean, if you really look at it, Memphis, huge deal. Then they get into NWA TNA, and that's still in some form or fashion still around today. And, you know, they, they've been involved in, in multiple professional wrestling companies that lasted a very long time. So no matter what you think of his southern drawl or whatever uh, – he was a he was a force to be reckoned with, and and sadly, outside of Vincent Kennedy McMahon and um, and Bill Watts, you know, I'm sure that I'm missing some, but there's just that era of guys are are gone. They're right. almost gone. I mean, well, hopefully Jeff Jarrett. I I say what you want about Jeff. I he was he was Nyquil for me when he was a wrestler. I couldn't stand him. But he's you know getting what? a little bit more love now because of his podcasting and Dude. stuff. But yes, he was always sort of like. Uh, he, I mean, he's getting a lot of love now, but yes, I agree with you. But he's in great shape. He can work. He can bump his ass off. Great working punch. And he, I think he's keeping that spirit of like entrepreneurship um, alive, you know, that he got from his father. But yeah, definitely, a, I, I think a big loss to wrestling. So, um, you know, Jerry Jarrett's definitely, and I mean, like you said, Vince McMahon, people turned to him when the chips were down to to you know possibly manage or to possibly bolster or to do something he was so respected uh universally in in wrestling which is a hard thing to do you know a lot of people although they didn't pay crap from what i remember it, you know no, Jerry, they, that was that was obviously one of the issues with uh stone cold steve austin and that's why he never wanted to work with jeff jarrett because you know he he thought he was treated poorly in Memphis. Right. You know, a lot of people have that. You know, a lot of people say that about Kansas City. A lot of people say that about Dallas. A lot of people right. say, you know, they were basically starving, living on beans and, you know, nothing. Bean, yeah, beans and taters. <laughs> and, yeah, that, that's all they would eat back then. And, and you know, it, it, it sucked. I'm sure it was horrible for the guys that were starving because while Jerry Jarrett's talking about his, his mansion on the lake. Yes. So, you know, uh, yes. but – you know, that's, um, I don't know. I guess that's sort of America in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Totally. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, uh, Chris, let's talk about uh, your interview this week and then we'll, yeah. we'll get to it. Well, this week I got to have a, a nice long chat with a guy that I met about almost 15 years ago now. And uh, he is the WWE artist, I call him Rob Schamberger. Now, Rob uh, was a guy that I had no idea who he was until I did my documentary. And we talk about this, about how he just walked up to me with his uh, girlfriend at the time and was like, hey, um, would you check this out? I'm Rob. Like, you know, Bob Geigel sent me here. And uh, he explains to me in the interview that Bob Geigel actually asked him to come to the documentary premiere as his uh, guest because he um had talked to bob about doing the side project because he knew bob bob geigel's daughter i'm trying to remember there was a connection there and you'll hear about it in the interview 
But uh, he came, and that was the first time I saw him. Then he started coming to Metro Pro Shows, and I said, hey, bring your artwork and sell it in the corner. I thought it was really cool. You know, he did really great work and wrest loved wrestling, did other things, do. He had, like, pinup girl-like type things from the 50s that he would paint and some other things. But then he, it transitioned purely into just wrestling. And now he has been sort of the he's, – he's a contracted – uh, worker he's not a full-time employee of wwe but he is the basically known as the wwe artist now and he has been with them for over a decade and um we we talk about how he got to where he got and how he started uh with metro pro and in kansas he's a kansas city guy so it was cool uh to hear his perspective of medium bob geigel uh going to his house going through the ranks of the independents, going to some other, you know, sort of cons at the time, like, you know, Comic-Con type things, and then to get where he's at now and just, it's, it's just cool. And we have some really cool stories about the pizza parties he used to throw after Metro Pro shows and uh, what those entailed. So it was good. It was good talk with Rob. Love talking to him. All right. So let's get to that interview with Rob Schamberger, and we'll see you on the other side. It's the worst territory. I am here now with a longtime friend. I was thinking about this the other day. I've known, I've known this guy from since at least 2010. So we're working on a, a decade and a half almost. Uh, he has gone from a guy that I saw at, at local shows in Kansas City to now he's the basically I call him the WWE artist for the biggest company wrestling company in the world. He is Rob Schamberger. Rob, thanks for joining me, man. Hey, Chris, how are you? It's Pretty been good. Too long since we've been together. I know. You know, Rob. We, we're going to talk about this at some point. But when I first met you, um, and then you got involved in becoming a part of the shows at Metro Pro in Kansas City, you know, ten, fifteen years ago, uh, you became the guy that allowed all of the, uh, you know, the people that were great and not so great to come to your house and/or studio, really afterwards, <laughs> to have a pizza party after our wrestling shows, and that's how you ingratiated yourself with most of the people in Kansas City. So I thank you for that again. Oh, you're welcome. I uh, inebriated and made fat a lot of uh, wrestlers in the Midwest. Uh, oh, yeah. I do remember some wrestlers eating pizza and be like, I hate myself. And then they just eat more pizza. Yeah. They hated themselves before the pizza. <laughs> and and some of them still hate themselves. Yes. But, uh, but Rob, I, I'll never forget the first time I met you because it was it was when I was doing the documentary for Central States. And, um, and I remember we were doing the the private, it wasn't a private showing, but the sort of the public showing, I guess it was, of the documentary at Memorial Hall. And you and your wife walked in and um, you had a comic book. And at that point, there was so much stuff going on that day. Like I, it was hard, yeah. my head was spinning, but like um, you, you showed me your comic book and it was this awesome illustrated comic book that you were putting together or working on. You sh I want you to talk about that, but it had, I just remember it had Geigel, Bob Geigel in it and a lot of the old stars. And I was like, man, this guy knows his history. Like give me some background on that comic. Yeah. It, like I got into wrestling a little bit later in life. Like I didn't grow up on it because like I grew up with a single mom and we had one TV and she didn't want to watch wrestling. Right. And, uh, it was actually my stepfather when she remarried and I was about 18. Uh, he had gone to central States back in the sixties and seventies at Memorial hall. Mm -hmm. And, uh, uh, so he was flipping through the channels and landed on nitro uh with rick flair doing a promo and it's like all of a sudden i got it and he had seen rick you know like in the 70s and uh was, all of a sudden i was like oh i get it like i i understand what this is all about and uh uh became a fan that way but 
uh, I was also uh, uh, really into comic books and wanting to make a uh, a graphic novel about like a fictionalized version, but based around pro wrestling in Kansas City during that time. Mm-hmm. Kind of a uh, my my pitch at the time was that this was the Mad Men of pro wrestling. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, um, so I did a ton of research, and I was talking about it with my soon-to-be mother-in-law, and she was like, oh, um, my college roommate was Bob Geigel's daughter. Wow, small world. Yeah, Shots uh, was her name. And uh, so she reached out to Shots, who then reached out to Bob, and uh bob and vera had us all over uh to to talk wrestling and it was just amazing like you've been to bob's house oh yeah you you know what what that was like like he gave me the tour of the basement with all the photos oh yeah yeah and i mean explain that to more to people that would have never been there never will go there now at this point obviously but i mean like so what i tell people about bob geigel and anyone that talks crap on bob geigel which i know that people that do obviously that at the highest levels on down but bob geigel was just a super awesome normal guy who was in who was a great athlete and got into wrestling but i swear to god he lived in the same house for 50 to 60 years and i think it was decorated at the first when he moved in and it never changed and he just reminded me of my grandfather. He did. Yeah. And uh, before I forget, you should totally, at some point in the future, interview Bob's daughters. They're, they're, they're really all about uh, uh, keeping his legacy going. Oh, that's I don't awesome. know if you touched base with them. I have not. I completely touch. I, you know, I met, I met uh, at least one of them at the premiere and during that whole time when I was interviewing him and his wife was great. And they were all just uh-huh. so sweet people. And, of course, like sometimes – you know, I've learned going through life that sometimes when you meet people in their older age, you know, they seem to be nicer than they maybe were when they were younger because, you know, <laughs> right. I was like, why doesn't everybody love this guy? Because he's so <laughs> nice. And then you find out, oh, he was a horrible person when he was 40 or whatever. But uh, but I didn't see that about Bob. Like everyone, like, I think he was pretty steady as they go. I mean, I think he just, he was just, I, I think the only negative thing you could really say about Bob is he was just a simple guy, which isn't necessarily yeah, he was a negative. Not, fancy. not at all. No, he had like stains on his shirt and everything, like didn't care. But but yeah, like uh, talking about the basement, it was like a walkout basement. And um, like my my mother-in-law had told him like, hey, Rob's researching, uh, you know, he wants to ask you questions. And Bob's like, oh yeah, he can ask anything. So like uh, while he's like showing me like, like all the walls are covered in framed photographs of every wrestler he ever worked with <laughs> yes. and all the big moments from his career. It was, it was cool. And he's given a story about each and every one. Right. And, uh, we get through the first wall and then we're about to get to like the sliding doors that walk out, uh, to his backyard. And, and I was like, you know, I know nowadays, like they work through a lot of the spots for a match. Like, what was it like back then? Like, did you just call it in the ring? How was it? And he opens up his blinds and he says, I grow tomatoes. (laughs) (laughs) He was sort of, he did jump around very ADD. Yeah. Yeah. Still very kayfabe. Uh, And I was like, okay. Like I learned a lot just from that encounter, right? Like I didn't push or anything. I'm like, oh, okay. So like guys from that time, they just don't talk about that. And And they're like, okay, cool. He he also is just the kind of guy that like he didn't he to me he didn't take himself very seriously like too seriously no. anyway. 
No, I'm sure he was amazed that I was even doing this thing. And I, I'm sure he was that way with you too. Like, who cares, right? Um, he was. He but but he did have he did have. Uh, I think he liked the the fact that he got to. You know, when I talked to him, man, he was gosh, he was in his 80s. I'm not a, yeah. maybe 84. I want to say he passed away at the age of 90 ish. So I want to say he was 84. Or so and he was, um, yeah, I think he was happy to. Uh, give me a lot of information you know a lot of times when you're that age of course i've met a lot of people i've interviewed and they they're happy to get their legacy down in some form or fashion like that and he was totally into that and he had a lot of opinions about people because i was like hey do you have the number for this guy and he would add several guys he's like don't talk to him he's basically a piece of crap (laughs) so don't don't interview him i don't want him part of this i'm like yes sir you know because at that time he was got it yeah yeah uh, and and uh, so, like as we go around with the photographs, I could see there was one of Ric Flair, and I was like, I had read Rick's biography where you know he just totally buried Bob, and mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, I, I want to hear this, I want to hear this. So we finally get to it, and it was Bob and Rick and some dude in a suit from uh, the first Starcade, and uh, Bob says, and here I am with a writer from the New York Times who was doing a story about Starcade, and that was really great, and just completely moved on. Mm-hmm. Oh, and there's some other guy. Anyway. Uh, yeah. yeah. I love that. Yeah, he did but, not sell for Ric Flair, no. No, no. Uh, and and otherwise, you know, just told stories about, uh, like, here and there, and, and his wife Vera actually talked more than Bob did. Uh, but we stayed in touch and Bob like called me out of the blue to say, Hey, this guy's doing this documentary. I want you to be my guest. Uh, um, so that's, that's what got me to come to that screening. Uh, and and then met you. I had no idea that that was the connection there. That's cool. Uh, yeah, maybe yeah. you told me that that night, and it just went in there, one out the other that, at that moment. But uh, that's that's you had a few good. other things going on. Yeah, it was it was uh, <laughs> that was a stressful night to make sure everything worked out. But uh, but it was cool to uh, to see you there because you know um, I actually did not grow up. My parents were not big wrestling fans, and neither were my grandparents. So I didn't grow up going to Kansas City wrestling at all. Um, yeah, the way that I first met Bob, as I've talked about before, is I saw him at the Woodlands. And I had heard about him a lot. And I don't know if you ever spent any time up there. You're a little younger than me. But uh, when that first opened, uh, I went up to the racetrack. And it was just awesome to see all the old wrestlers there. Because they were so easy. I would get autographs from them every time I was up there. And that that really made me uh, want to do more later in life when I got a little bit older and and a job, a career that could allow me to do that. But um, did you ever spend time with uh, anybody else besides Bob? Did you ever see anybody else at the Woodlands or any of those guys? Uh, no, I never went. And again, like I didn't really get into things until like my late teens, early twenties. Um, so like not around that time, but like as my career progressed, like pretty much everyone now, like obviously did a lot with Harley, um, Larry Hennig and his family, uh, became real close, uh, still very close with, with the family. Um, yeah, like, uh, because of the nature of what I do with like now, like doing all these portraits of the wrestlers, um, whether it be through WWE or just the word of what I do getting out there, like I've gotten in touch with pretty much everyone at this point. Um, I mean, everyone that's left, you know, I mean, right, it's sad. Yeah, when I look yeah. back and see the documentary, I, I, I mean, there's honestly, 
maybe three or four people that are still around and it's it's horrible but i mean you know it's i got i still i talked to mike george i mean he's still around um he's he's still working at a casino um living in the uh, bob guyle tradition he'll have a job for life because he was like a you know he's a big star and everybody of that age knows who mike george is um but you know is it's they're they're just all gone and that's why when you're doing this um a lot of times we talk to people like yourself or people that are just associated with it in any way because the central states really um the only people that are left are the guys left in the the final like five years of the territory we're talking 85 to 86 to maybe 90 91 and, you know, the yeah. Gennettis. And I have talked to Marty Gennetti. He has not come on yet. Um, <laughs> he didn't like the name of the podcast, The Worst Territory oh. <laughs> in the World, because he's like he took exception with it, and he actually loved Bob Geigel. It was interesting. We had a big email back and forth, and, of course, anyone in wrestling that knows about Marty Gennetti's life, we know how that is. But, um, yeah. you know, it's uh, it's it's been a crazy... Uh, a crazy ride trying to find people to do this. And Akio Sato is still around. There, there's some people still around, but it's just not, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to find them now. Yeah. And I, at the, the first time I met Shawn Michaels, I brought up the Kansas City connection. And he, he just kind of like stared at me like, yeah, that's a place I worked. Um, <laughs> he didn't yeah. have much more to say about it. And, uh, yeah. Uh, Jeff Jarrett, I think, did a cup of tea here and um had you know in passing nice things to say about bob yeah uh, did you did you spend a lot of time with harley did you did you spend a lot of time with him at all um more his people um you know his uh faculties were pretty much gone by the time i met him okay um, i understand yeah yeah he was he was confined each to a time wheelchair. i met him was the first time okay you know? yes that's yeah, yeah. and that's how it was his final years of life and uh, yeah. that, that definitely i feel like when when we interviewed him in 2008 or 2009 that was definitely uh you know uh still a good time for him to remember everything um but uh yeah i was just curious yeah um so Let's move on to uh, how you got involved in this. So what, what actually happened after that, uh, when, you, when I met you the first time at the Central States premiere at the documentary, then I know, you know, we started running Metro Pro Wrestling in Kansas City at our first show at Memorial Hall. Don't know if you were at that one. I was one. there. Okay. Yeah. And then you got heavily involved with this after that because obviously you're a, a very good you're a great artist and everybody really likes your work. So, uh, it was great for me to have you come to the shows because, you know, people wanted to buy your stuff and it was like an added <laughs> side, side bonus for me to have you there anyway. Um, talk about that transition of like, you know, meeting Geigel and doing that into sort of slowly planning the seeds of what you're doing now. Yeah, I did a crowdfunder through Kickstarter, um, to, uh, start a project of, like painting every world champion from all the major promotions. And I raised like $20,000 off that. So I was able to like quit my job and focus awesome. on full time, Yeah, which gave me like more time to uh, get involved with you guys. And also it was like a lot of synergy. Like I think like in the later days of uh, that, that crowdfunding was uh, when, when you had me, in the ring and uh that, that bastard adam pierce destroyed one of my paintings 
Yeah, that was uh, one of my favorite yeah. segments of all time. Uh, like, <laughs> well, loved it. One of my favorite segments of, of you, most of the people listening to this probably have never seen Metro Pro Wrestling, but at the time, it's on YouTube, and Rob was a, th- at that point an unknown, but, uh-huh. except locally, but... Uh, we had a segment where he, he, he did a mural, and it was a, obviously a ripoff that's been done in wrestling several times through the years, including with Jerry Lawler and, and <laughs> the Ultimate Warrior. That but, was the one we used as the reference, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, I don't think Adam or Strider wore a hat that night uh, no. to cushion the blow. <laughs> but, uh, but no, that was uh, you, you did an awesome mural, and uh, it was destroyed in the ring as he uh, took it across the head of Michael Strider. And it was, a, it was an awesome way to get you more uh, attention, but also just a, <laughs> a, an awesome angle, like uh, continuation. Yeah, and then uh, we had another one of Pierce destroyed a few years later. Um, I think I think Pierce himself destroyed that one over the head of like I don't know. Was it one of the 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 King brothers? Are you gonna say or... the Mancini's? No, the King yeah. brothers. Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> I think it was or, or Sterling. Yeah, I think well, it was. It wasn't Sterling, yeah. I believe. But yeah, your your artwork has been involved. In... Sterling wouldn't sell for me either. No, he would not. He <laughs> probably hates you. Um, just going on. A I think I'm, I'm. I think I'm the only person he gets along with. Oh really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I knew there was one. Um, it's me. Yeah, I, I just thought it was cool the way that uh, you went from the corner of like Sutton to Turner Rec Center in Kansas City, Kansas, to selling your artwork. And I'm sure at the time, like you said, the Kickstarter helped, but then, you know, you'd make some supplemental stuff at shows like that. And then, yeah. uh, you know, it just, I, I don't know, you were all in, man. And it's cool that you were because, you know, a lot of people would not have been. So you were all in and went up the, you know, where you are today. I mean, how, what was that process like? How did you go from, you know, um, selling at independent shows and then you started getting slowly involved in other shows around the area and then you go to where you're at now yeah i would reach out to um it was more like other wrestling type conventions and the the museum up in waterloo um instead of like other indie shows because like i knew you i trusted you um (laughs) but i i didn't know about other shows right yeah it's tough Um, to uh trust yeah yeah Yeah. so it was at the the museum in Waterloo. I met Jim Ross and Jerry Briscoe, and um, Jer- uh, Jim wanted to, to sign me on the spot, and I was like, I'm not quite ready. Like there was like business stuff. I wanted to get in line first because I had a, a vision for how I wanted my component to play out. Um, so it was like a few months later, uh, SmackDown was coming to Kansas city and I reached out to Jim to see if he could pass my information along because I was doing a make a wish fundraiser gallery event. Okay. And, uh, uh, he did, but also, uh, contacted triple H's office and said like, we need to actually work with this guy. Um, so, uh, a couple executives reached out to me and were like, you know, here's our plan for how we want to work with you. Um, uh, my thing was like, I need to own my work. And they actually went for that. Um, it's hard to get. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, like anywhere in the art world. Um, it, it's kind of a, a sweetheart deal. And uh, um, it, like they debuted me at WrestleMania 30. Like that was my public <laughs> Uh, was it WrestleMania Access for that? Uh, my first 
backstage thing was a few months earlier, and it was actually the week that Punk walked out. Okay. Uh, so that was my memorable. Uh, like the uh, house show here in Kansas City was like the first time uh, I worked with everyone. Like most of the uh, the wrestlers all knew me already, and several members of the staff even uh, because of social media. And um, we've just kind of built it up from there. Like I've got the the YouTube series now, uh, weekly series of like showing how I make the paintings. Yeah, those are really cool. Thanks. And, uh, you know, do a, a lot of events with them, like WrestleMania every year and um, go to different shows now. We get the prints signed by uh, the, the wrestlers and, and sell those. And that does really well. Uh, but it's just been like nonstop ever since for like almost a decade now i gotta be i gotta be honest like when you first started this i thought it was so awesome and i was like such a great break for you and i was very happy for you but i am like you know you tried talking me out of it <laughs> after working there well i i try i think uh probably going full-time would have been a downfall possibly you know like as far uh -huh. as like you're working for them only because that was just my experience and i was like i it's really hard for me to tell anybody i like to fully do this and like change their <laughs> life because they might change everything but um you know so much has changed over the last you know, since i was in 20 years so i understand oh, very different place i mean yeah. it's when i was there it was still uh, a, a remnant of a family-run company, you know, like uh -huh. now it's very different, it seems like. But, um, yeah, one thing that cracks me up, though, about uh, the whole thing is the, the two of my favorite guys that I had the honor to work with there were Jerry Briscoe and Jim Ross. And oh. uh, they both had different roles when I was there uh, from each other. But, the you know, the fact that... You know, I think so many people hear stuff about JR being cranky JR or whatever, and then they don't necessarily know everything about Jerry. And the fact that JR and Jerry were both on your side immediately says a lot about you. I mean, like, I think a lot of people would be sort of shocked uh, to hear that JR was championing some guy that was not with the company and wasn't going to be just to, to use your art. I mean, that was sort yeah. of shocking, I got to say. Yeah, uh, he was really cool to me from the beginning. Uh, and, and Jerry, you know, like just such a sweetheart. And I didn't even know until like at WrestleMania 30, how highly he was regarded within the company because he was not very active anymore by the time I came in. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was at the, uh, we were in like the friends and family, uh, room for, for mania and he was walking by with some other people I didn't know at the time. And I was talking with, um, I think it was like Hornswoggle and maybe one of the Usos. And uh, uh, I'm like, oh, hold on, guys. And I run over to say hey to Jerry. And we talk for a while. And I come back. I'm like, hey, sorry about that. Like, Jerry's a, a friend. And they're like, never apologize for talking to him. He is the man. <laughs> like, yeah. just like very highly regarded. Because, yeah, at one point, like, he was Vince's right hand. Oh, my gosh. When I was there, it was him and Pat were – uh, you know, they're inseparable from, from Vince and, you know, Jerry just being not only just where he was, uh, politically, but also the fact that he could, uh, I mean, <laughs> we used, I have so many stories I really can't tell, but like yeah, sto stories same. that I can't, I mean, this is a guy <laughs> that could like, uh, I'll never forget this one time I'll tell just a version of this. Like, so him and Bruce Pritchard always 
went around and traveled together. They hung out together after after hours, after shows or whatever, when we were staying in the town at the hotel. And this one time, because I was low man in the totem pole when I was on the riding team when I first started, and they were like, hey, country, go get us some water burgers, and I ta- I'll take a number four, and I want a Diet Coke, or, you know, whatever. So I got both of them, and I came back, <laughs> and I just remember I walked into, I guess it was Bruce's uh, hotel room, and uh, the door was open, and someone's like, come in. And I walk in, <laughs> not knowing that I'm going to be attacked. And uh, I look at the TV and their big screen TV in the hotel room, just like action scene of a porno on space yeah. vision. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell's going on? And then Bruce walks out of the, of the bathroom like, hey, big country. And then all of a sudden, Jerry jumps behind me and puts me in like, you know, a chicken wing. And, uh, <laughs> and they, they just started screwing with me. And like, I'm, uh, I'm a larger guy, but like, I can't do anything with Jerry Briscoe. So, uh, he could have done anything to me in there and he didn't, thank God. But, um, but I mean, the, but he's an awesome dude. He's just a fun loving guy. And like, I love that he still does. He does a podcast and he, when he does like uh, social media updates where he's real sarcastic and smart ass, I love yeah. those. I mean, they're great. My, my favorite story with him, I think I can tell this, um, <laughs> was, uh, uh, after, uh, one of the museum events in Waterloo, there was a, uh, a gentleman's club. Next of course. Door. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we all were. Cause it was a wrestling show <laughs> and, um, uh, a bunch of us had, uh, like put down money in front of Jerry and sat him in the, the front row. And so this girl was giving him a, a public dance and, uh, um, she was like, right, right on him. And his <laughs> chair broke. Oh my like God. he was leaning back and the, the damn chair broke. <laughs> and so he instinctively reached up to try to grab something to stop his fall. <laughs> and the only thing he could grab were, uh, what was in his face. <laughs> and we asked the girl about it afterwards, like, Oh, do we need to pay you more? Like, she's like, Oh no, Jerry's a sweetheart. <laughs> He's known here. He's got his own table. No. Yeah. Oh. oh man. Well, I mean, he was falling. He was trying to obviously help right. himself <laughs> and he did. Ah, uh, man. No, there's uh look as much that job uh, full time, even for you, I'm sure is like so hectic and chaotic and nerve wracking and stressful and all the, all combined in one that I understand when they have off time, which is very seldom that they go do whatever they want. <laughs> Cause it is like, <laughs> it is, uh, it is a grind. And I tell people this all the time, working for Vince McMahon, um, is the, one of the hardest things you'll ever do because you'll never outwork your boss. So right. it's like, you have to be, um, you know, you can never bitch or complain about anything because, uh, this dude who is 40 years older than you is doing it better. So, I mean, it sucks, but, but it's great, yeah. but it sucks. It's, uh, it's a bit different now. Uh, like even like before Vince's role, whatever changed, like it, it was getting a little bit easier. Like there was uh, a case at like a WrestleMania where, and for so many of us, I was talking about this with one of the production guys, like they don't specifically tell us we have to work that hard. We kind of do it to ourselves. Yeah. It's and, out of fear, uh, you know, yeah. Or, or, yeah. or even just like, Oh, this is what's expected of me. Right. Sure. And, uh, like you want you're constantly wanting to prove yourself. Mm-hmm. 
but there was like uh, a couple of the merchandise guys uh, for WrestleMania. There was just so much work for them. They were just staying at the stadium working and uh like one of them was just taking a nap behind the boxes and someone took a picture and uh when stephanie was doing a walkthrough she's like you know it's amazing you guys are able to like get all this done and they showed her the picture and she's like well this has to change like we, we, oh, we, yeah. can't, we can't have this happening um so like you know they, they started making changes that, that made it so that the job was a little more doable uh, but there's still a lot of us there that that are working nonstop. Like I've just in the past couple months, like slowed down a little bit. Like a decade in, I finally feel like I can, you know, take a day off occasionally. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you're you're coming from a wholly di- a whole different uh, approach here. So you're uh, not full staff, but you're uh, you're probably always thinking, you know when you're when you're working for the top company you're you're always worried that someone's going to try to take your spot just like a wrestler or anybody else in sure. that company so you of course need to keep up your level of work all the time and that was i mean when i worked there my parents called it the lost years because i never <laughs> when i did come home i was i was on the phone constantly because again i was a writer's assistant when i first got there so uh-huh. for the writing team so everyone was like you know, I mean, I'm getting calls from Michael Hayes at 3 a.m. Hey, write this yeah. down. I need this tomorrow. I'm like, okay, dude. Good night. You know, I mean, and uh, so that you know, you're you're constantly working, and which it's a young man's job, man. I'm glad I could not do it now in my 40s, but in my 20s it was doable. But um, yeah, I get your point, definitely. It, it, yeah, it's it's nonstop, and luckily, like my wife is as self motivated as I am, and she comes to a lot of the events with me, so. When, you know, like if, if you're, if you're like married or dating someone that's outside of this, trying to explain it to them, no way they're thinking like, what's this guy actually doing? It's like, no, I'm just there and on all the time. You are uh, obviously cheating on them and you're not coming home <laughs> because that's why you're doing that. I mean, yes. I look, I, I thought that all the time. There's so many times with just, I mean, just doing like uh local stuff like NWL when I worked here. Uh-huh. I mean, that was another grind and I'm gone every weekend, late night coming home at 4am from St. Louis. And it's all wrestling related because it's travel and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, at, if I didn't have a wife already, first of all, I've always said like, you'll never get married or anything or have a real <laughs> girlfriend. If you get into the wrestling business and don't already have one, because there's no time to do it so um but yeah like it and it makes everyone else thinking like what is they what are they really doing i'm like well believe me if i could be home i would i'm gonna (laughs) sleep in my own bed but yeah and i'm only traveling once or twice a month like i mean there have definitely been times when like i was doing uh the conventions as well where i'd be home a couple days out of the week uh like that i cut back just because like i didn't feel like i was doing good art which ultimately this is what it's all about sure um but yeah like um uh friday i'm driving down to or up to champaign illinois to work a house show and coming back um you know it's it's constant and still trying to get everything hammered out for 
what if anything I'm doing with WrestleMania this year. Uh, and that's that's something that has not changed. The last minute nature of everything. Oh yeah. No, that's yeah. I mean that's it's <laughs> it's live entertainment. I've come to I've come to find out that that's basically entertainment at the highest levels always like that. You know, whether it's yes. Saturday Night Live or or WWE or whatever, it's like the last second edits and second guessing of everything is always prevalent. So it's it's hard to get past <laughs> that. And it's very annoying to those working with it, but you just learn to accept and move on i mean that's just and what's it. amazing is like i've done stuff outside of wwe outside of wrestling and um on the production end and the logistics end they really are the best oh yeah um, like i i just did like a, a major hollywood thing and the logistics were a nightmare and i'm like i'm telling them like no no, no do it this way and they're like oh that'd be great you know like <laughs> yeah like uh, uh but it's just like the the nature of what we do yeah no i agree it's 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 definitely a, a grind all the time and and you you get used to it after a while which is why some people can stay there for 30 years or 40 years or whatever uh yeah so you talk about the quality of work that's uh, an issue because I, I sort of i understand that from what i'm doing now so it's sort of like you you always have to worry about the marketing of your stuff and doing live shows and events and all that stuff but also yes by the way the 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 center the nucleus of everything i'm doing is the work i'm actually doing so i know right. it's hard to balance all that um how do you move forward now after being there like you said i'm a decade in how do you what do you do like do you find yourself always trying to find a new version of your art or to like make it different or you know because i would always worry like you know everything's constantly changing so have you had to deal with that as an artist um yeah it's definitely top of mind for me with every single painting but also like um a lot of artists have like a distinctive style and medium that they work with mm -hmm. and that can get old like that can fall out of of fashion um i'm constantly experimenting with different approaches different mediums all of that and like studying what uh a lot of art like throughout history and what's happening in the contemporary area right now as well um like constantly like trying to soak all that up like a dry sponge and uh put that into each new piece that i'm doing to try to keep it fresh and now that like i'm spending longer uh uh on my art um it's given me a lot of freedom to like really be a lot more intentional with all of it yeah um so like the the stuff i've been doing in the last month is like light years beyond what i was doing when you first met me i've no well i asked that question because i've noticed you've you've your art has changed i mean which is going to happen anyway you get more refined you you know you, right. you see what works whatever but I've, I've also seen it just from a creative standpoint some of the stuff that you worked on you know that was really hot and super popular and everyone loved like a decade ago you're switching that up and i've noticed like the different elements that you've put in your stuff and i just i think it's cool because you have to you have to be that way especially there like i'm always like thinking like what does rob have to go through as an artist in the world of wwe because you know just being a a office worker or a video editor <laughs> there is uh, difficult enough but you know i mean it's it's yeah. constantly I'm, I'm like i said I'm, I'm sure you're constantly like you said you can take a little breath now but you're always like I'm, i have I'm, to be good. Uh, <laughs> uh lovingly hated uh both within the office and in the the art world um because they give me total freedom 
That's which great. I'm sure is just blowing your mind hearing, right? But like, uh, well, I, I think there's it's no. You no have the upper hand. No revisions. You nothing. have the upper hand because you're <laughs> you're you're, uh, you're basically an independent contractor, right? So yeah. I mean, you can. Yeah. Uh, I I think that's awesome that you have stayed that way because um, you know in other aspects, then when I know people that do other side projects from them, they eventually it seems like become a staff member, and yeah. the fact that you haven't had to do that, I think, is great for you. Yeah, and um, I, I was last year's mania. I was uh, talking for a while with a guy on the the creative team, creative services, and he was like, occasionally in like the 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 company chat, we'll be like, here we are, like working on our third revision meeting, and Rob's probably drinking a latte and just getting started <laughs> for the day. And I'm like, oh, I drink tea. <laughs> No, I get it. I, I understand. Like when you're in the damn belly of the beast, you're like, screw everybody else and have to do this. I totally understand yeah. that. But I yeah, just, they uh, they treat me awesome. Um, uh, it was I think like it was also kind of the 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 thinking that like oh I'm a Triple H guy, so I kind of get some leeway that way. And then also uh, a lot of the time like because I'm definitely like not there at Stanford, like most of the company that I, I've never even been there. Um, <laughs> That's uh, amazing. People, You've never been there. <laughs> which everyone tells me, keep it that way. I um, think it is. I think you, yeah. they might be like, you know what, Rob, actually been thinking, here's an office for you right here. Why don't you just yeah. go and tell your wife, tell her you're moving up here. <laughs> um, but like, so it's the, the road crew that I work with, which, you know, it's a totally different, um, uh, ideology right like road team versus home team oh yeah and, oh yeah yeah uh so like those guys i get along with super great but also like unless i'm there they're not thinking of me and i'm not i'm not at the office so they're all in the middle of the 15 things that are being asked of them that day uh so i i kind of just get to to steer clear of all that you're in the purgatory of both that's interesting yeah. although you're more road guy than than home base guy which i always thought was a little bit more yeah the road guys the road team of the wwe always had more and now it's hard-ass work don't get me wrong but they had more freedom yeah. because they're not you know they're not in in front of everybody <laughs> so they can they can as long as they get they're in that world of as long as you get the job done i don't give a crap you know which yeah. is good that's a good way to be it's the uh, the polo shirt guys versus the suit guys. Yes, I agree. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, so before I wrap up here, let me talk. Let me ask you, like, who are some of the guys, um, old and young, uh, some of the workers or whoever you've painted or whoever you've dealt with that you you've mentioned Jr. And, and Jerry, not them, but other guys that you've come across with that you've really hit it off with as far as maybe just your paintings, but also just being in the world that you're in and really enjoy their company that everybody would know. You know, I'll tell you, like, the people I got closest with were the Metro Pro crew. Um, like, the, those after parties. Oh, it yeah. Was, uh, uh, it was just so much fun because uh, we did it for several years. That, um, and I don't know what spurred you to do that because, like, you obviously were taking your own money and you were making some money at the show. But, I mean, it, it was under no reason that you should be paying for any pizza or <laughs> beer for anybody. But uh, you did that, and that was so cool. And I um, I was always worried that none of the guys – well, some of the guys wouldn't appreciate it. And uh, that was <laughs> – what, what, what made you do that? You just liked them so much? Or, like, yeah, most people wouldn't do that. I think Matt Jackson is still planning to pay me back. Um, but, uh, <laughs> no, he's not. 
<laughs> no, he's not. Um, uh, it, it was uh, at first like I had this space. Um, like there was an early show I was at where we all went to uh, the Quaff afterwards. Yes, and was that and, the dance off with ACH yeah. and Iceman? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which uh, gave me the idea to pitch you for Iceman becoming the dance battle champion. <laughs> which was a good gimmick for him for a while. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> My mom made that trophy for him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I guarantee Howard has that on his mantle or somewhere. <laughs> um, it's the best title he ever had. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and I was like, man, this is a lot of fun. And then it was like, well, I've got this studio. And yeah, like when I was selling stuff at the show, I did feel a little bad because there were definitely shows. I was the one hoovering all the money off the floor. <laughs> it's a, well i mean come on to be fair these guys would have a new t-shirt every month so i'm like at some point you're not gonna you're gonna run out of t-shirt sales buddy <laughs> um but uh I, I, you know like uh being an artist is a very solitary existence like i'm just in my room painting by myself and i was like hey i could pay a few people to be my friends um <laughs> <laughs> it's like a fraternity yeah uh so it, it just became like a thing and um it, it was a ton of fun and i think it was like maybe like the second one uh pete madden pulled me aside and he's like this kind of thing doesn't happen often in wrestling uh where like there's a regular pay place where people get together and just have fun off the clock it just doesn't happen he's like to really appreciate this while it's happening and and i did my best to do that um and there'd be times where it'd be just a few people and then other times like almost the whole roster would come over uh the very i think it was the first time um magic man <laughs> messaged me and uh i was like oh god hey. he was like do you want me to bring my bag of tricks and like not knowing him not really knowing anyone yet i was thinking he was talking cocaine <laughs> well that's what i would that would be wrestling. my first assumption yeah. would be something drug related yes and i was like no but you can bring a, ba a bag of dicks <laughs> and he's like no problem so he walks up the stairs and he opens up his bag full of dildos <laughs> that does not shock me that magic man could produce such a thing <laughs> and he was like handing them out to like lucy and miss natural and <laughs> um uh oh my god and, and, uh like magic man just like having him around like there was one time when i had my studio in the river market he had disappeared and we were like where is he and mike Crace, the referee goes out and magic man was standing in the middle of the street there holding a rubber chicken okay by the neck and <laughs> and mike's like what what the hell are you doing magic and he's like choking my chicken <laughs> good lord <laughs> Like, he must have been standing out there for like half an hour. You have to really to know joke. Magic Man to appreciate these <laughs> stories. But Magic Man had a he had a bit of a run in Japan, and like he yeah. he was with Kai and Tai over there, I believe. I mean, he was with some like stuff over there that like would shock you. And you brought up Pete Madden. Pete Madden is one of my all time favorite dudes. He was just yeah. he I he still calls me. Wait, he's an over the road truck driver, and he still calls me. And I love talking with Pete. We can talk for hours. 
And oh, that's awesome. He's just a, I mean, he's, he just always got it. He loves life. Yeah. He loves having fun. Uh, like, it was funny because some people didn't necessarily love Pete Madden's style of wrestling, which would, Pete Madden, like, on AEW would probably be, like, the top star. Cause he, would, <laughs> he, would be, he wrestled a tree once. Like, he wrestled stuff that was, like, uh, he could do stuff like that. But uh, the dude always understood, like, important things in life. And I, dude, dude was great. And he would, he would travel with Magic Man. He'd be sort of Magic yeah. Man's handler. And they would go on these trips across the country. And the stories they had were just, I mean, he could write a book. It was great. You didn't believe him until you saw the video or you saw the stuff happen in person. <laughs> it was so like, good. There was one time at, uh, after a show, uh, Trevor Murdoch's car wouldn't start. The battery was dead. And I went to like drive around the block so that I could come around the right way to, to give him a jump. And in that time, like uh, the car was running when I come up and, and I'm like, what the hell happened? And Trevor's just like doubled over laughing and uh, uh, magic man's like dusting off his shoulder. Uh, apparently magic had come out and said, Oh, I'll fix it. And he like rubs his hands together and puts them on the hood. And he's like, try starting the car. And it started. <laughs> uh, yes that, that sounds correct um, and then uh when you brought in christopher daniels um and you brought him to the party afterwards and uh beforehand like a few uh, months before magic had given me this framed photograph of him and it's like this really badly photoshopped thing of him flying a kite getting hit by lightning <laughs> and he says, I want you to hang this in your bathroom. And I'm like, cool. What is it? And he's like, it's proof of my work with Ben Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's a nut job. He's great. Yeah. But, but Daniels goes to use the restroom and he comes out. Um, like we hear him yell, like, like, holy crap in the bathroom. And he comes out holding the picture. He's like, you guys know the magic man? No shit. This dude, this happened by the people that this happened with people all the time. You'd be like, you would not like, you'd bring in somebody that you would like, had no connection to, you know, like not Billy, Eddie, but somebody like that. And they'd be like, Oh God, you know, the magic man. Yeah. He's one of my, Jack sin. He's great. I'm like, yeah. Are you freaking serious? Everybody knows this guy. And, and that was how I discovered the story of how magic man got booked in japan um, refresh my have memory. you heard this no i don't remember this okay um he, <laughs> uh uh in like wrestler gimmick uh sent a vhs to uh michinoko pro of him doing all these magic tricks because he was an actual stage trained magician <laughs> and um uh they they see it and they're like oh my god like it's a wrestler that can do like high-end magic like we have to book this guy sure so they 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 contact him they bring him out and he's gonna be uh facing hakushi in in the main event and um he's like oh great you know like they tell him like he's gonna be on this tour and he's gonna main event every night he's like that's fantastic so who's gonna teach me how to wrestle exactly <laughs> He, he was like a, he was a second. He wasn't necessarily a man. He was a, more of a manager than the wrestler. Yes. <laughs> and then they were like, "Oh no!" So they taught him like how to take like a basic bump. Um, so then he would um, come out each night and like really make the crowd angry because he was great at that. Oh yeah. And like you know doing his like floating hundred dollar bill or whatever. And uh, then like 
the whoever was main eventing that night would come out and uh, knock him down one two three, and so like by the end of the tour, everyone's wanting to work with Magic Man because they knew they wouldn't have to take a bump or do anything <laughs> other than that and get the biggest pop of the night. <laughs> uh, that's everyone's dream. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, that was, that's how he got in Japan. I mean, I, had, I mean, look, I, <laughs> the guy is uh, uh, only a personality you would meet in professional wrestling. Really, is all yes, I can say. One hundred percent. I mean, it's just uh, the dude. There's people like that. Uh, Pete Madden, same thing. I mean, same kind yeah. of guy. He's Pete Madden has done uh, surfing, rock star, wrestler. Like he's done, <laughs> he's done it all, and he's still married, which is amazing. <laughs> but he's, he's such a great dude. I'm sure he can find ladies to like him, but. Um, but yeah, no, I'm sure magic man's still divorced. I, I have no idea. In fact, the last time I talked to Pete Matt about magic man, he said, uh, he had, he had stopped talking to Pete and he, I, I think he's gotten a little out there. So I'm not oh, yeah. and more so than we knew. So, um, yeah. so, but he was quite a uh, entertaining guy and like he brought his little motorcycle to drive around Turner wreck at our shows and he would have all these <laughs> things that he would bring and he was such a, a fun dude and he enjoyed uh, being there a lot so yeah. um, you know that's what I love about all those guys that, like you said the Metro Pro crew the Kansas City crew from like 2010 to 2016 was like one of my favorite groups of all time just because like you said it was just such a tight knit group a lot of people based out of here and a lot of regulars and uh, it was just it was really fun and I'm glad that's how we got to meet doing that yeah and I'm glad that I think it was like the last party or the second to last you had brought Pearson and uh um adam had had the foresight to say like let's take a picture together yeah and, and yeah it was at one of the parties like all of us together and that wasn't like, the pizza cool party that right exists. that wasn't that was the pizza party was before <laughs> right the well they were all pizza parties well yeah <laughs> the, the the incident with the pizza that's not that one right no no okay. that was the first one okay okay <laughs> where i was like oh my career's over because i didn't get the pizza there in time so for those that don't know uh the pizza parties that rob would have he would take money out of his own pocket and buy these damn pizzas and hope that some of the wrestlers would chip in now if you know anything about <laughs> wrestlers there was like one out of ten chipped in so right. Rob would be stuck with the stupid bill, but he'd buy, was it Minsky's? You'd buy these pizzas that were like yeah. freaking four yeah, foot by four pizza. foot. They were huge. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Normally it would be like Papa, you know, something low level, like the low of Gumby's is what I recall in yeah. college, but uh, <laughs> Gumby's pizza would be that. But no, but you'd get Minsky's pizza and everyone would get it. And so this one particular time, and I guess it was, was it the seven level, seven levels of hate? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, when Adam Pierce won the, the world title Adam from Pierce someone else. Adam Pierce won the world title from a man named Colt Cabana. And like <laughs> Adam Pierce had like a 102 degree fever that night, but he, he had the NWA title change hands in Kansas City, which was awesome. And uh, they ended up, uh, the pizza was. It, they must have been backed up at Minsky's because it, it was late. But man, it was late. Colt Cabana threw the biggest fit that that pizza was not there in time, and to a point that like everyone there was embarrassed. And so it was. It was just. It was shocking how Colt Cabana reacted to that. And now knowing and seeing what has transpired since then, nothing shocks me. So anyway, <laughs> but that's yeah. All. That was the first time I was on the receiving end of a wrestling promo. <laughs> not the last, but that was the first. Yeah. Well, you got to I'm glad that you went. Uh, it was like your like your high school before college, the Metro Pro, so you could get ready for all the other crap that might happen. Because seriously, if you wouldn't have actually had a little bit of seasoning in the 
independent level of wrestling before you start working for as an artist for WWE, I think things could have gone differently. Possibly, oh yeah, there there was. <laughs> I mean, like uh, I had Big Show in my face one time, um, not playing around, <laughs> um, and, and I was able to defuse it, like like with some of the things that I had learned working with you guys. That's and, scary. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and like uh, Goldust. Uh, he super sweet guy, but has a particular sense of humor. Uh-huh. Um, that that uh, it's like he's always in heel mode, but he's playing around. <laughs> and and so like I was able to read that like oh he's not actually saying this to me he's just popping himself and whoever's around that knows his his humor. There's not a lot of guys like that anymore. Um, no, like, that uh, era is sort of gone now, but yeah, I, I sort of yeah, miss that era because if you're used to that era, that's an awesome era. But if you're not used to it, you hate that era. I mean, I oh, get yeah. It. And, and there were definitely guys that took it too far. Um, that, that is why we don't get to have that fun anymore. Um, but, you know, like uh, um, Top Dollar from uh, Hit Row. Yes. Was, uh, uh, he's kind of got that sense of humor. So he and I were going back and forth because he was like, where's my new painting? And I'm like, I'm not doing a new painting for you. And and we're doing this in front of like staff. And like after he leaves, they come up to me like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> oh, man, you guys would not have survived around gold dust. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I think it's funny. You sort of bridge a gap of some generations here to where you're, you're used to the, the complete ribbing that would happen. You, I feel like you were sort of on that final edge of the yeah. guys that could get away with that. And, you know, when Vince was fully in charge and like still that territory area era through the Attitude Era guys were still around, those guys are the ones that get away with that but the dudes that are going to the performance center and, and now going up to the roster no freaking way they would have understood oh, any of no. that <laughs> no uh but even like that yeah it's it's a different generation um like at royal rumble uh this year bailey and i were talking about like we blinked and now we're the the ones that have been around forever i know it's like weird. Our, our group right and um uh, uh i told her like yeah like Cora Jade from NXT was there and I could hear her like across the hallway saying like, Oh, what, you know, like when when I turned on, uh, Roxanne, like it was inspired by like my favorite thing from my childhood that I saw, which was when Seth Rollins turned on the shield and I'm like, Oh, because I've been there for a while before that happened. Not, not Hogan getting slammed by Andre, but yes, the shield is now considered old school. I know, right? dude, I feel old every day. Yeah. And, and uh, um, uh, Rock's daughter, Simone, uh, Ava Rain, is, is there now. And when I did my first painting of her, she was like, I've dreamed of this since I was a little kid. Having you do a painting of me, and I'm like, what? And then I did the math. I'm like, oh no, you have. <laughs> you were like six when this started. Yeah. yeah. Oh man. Well, that's awesome. That means you've had a good long career, and that's good. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, Rob, it's it's been awesome going down memory lane. I could talk about uh, stories with you all the time because there's a lot of stories that we cannot talk about on here, but um, <laughs> and like some classic stories, some from Waterloo, some from other places. But uh, <laughs> but I appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's been awesome knowing you for all these years, and very proud of what you've become, man. Thanks, Chris. It's the worst territory.
All right. Welcome back. What a great interview with Rob Schamberger. It's great to hear all the stories uh, from a slightly different perspective. You know, usually we have people that were quote unquote workers or bookers or, you know, kind of akin to the Dan Geyer interview that, you know, are wrestling adjacent, but have a long, deep, rich history. And, you know, it's kind of cool to hear that uh, someone took a different route with professional wrestling as far as artwork goes. And his artwork is incredible. Yeah, and look, I thought it was cool to talk about his perspectives on art and how they've changed over the years because I think I agree with him wholeheartedly when he said that, you know, basically it's sort of hard to let your guard down and sort of take a huge deep breath when you're working there because you're always wanting to impress them. And in my case, I always wanted to not get fired by Stephanie. So, you know, you just never can like let your, you know, you can never feel comfortable there. And there's that's good and bad. Uh, just depending on what perspective you're coming from from that company but rob is a great dude and um like i said he, he's a kansas city guy and the fact that he is known as the artist of wwe is super awesome compared to 15 years ago he was just doing it at turner rec center in the corner so i think it's awesome for him i haven't you know i haven't seen him at a show in a long time he must be you know laying low or you know been pretty busy or whatever but yeah i, I used to see him quite a bit even post nwl i haven't seen him in a, in a, in a while yeah, no, he's still he's still around town. I keep in touch with all his stuff. He has some cool stuff on YouTube where he shows how he paints things. And and I, I like I told him, I thought his techniques have changed with time here because uh, I think any artist after a while is going to someone's going to get sick of what you're doing 100 percent. So you sort of have to always evolve. And I think he's done that. OK, um, well, who do we got coming down the 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 uh, pipe, so to speak, or, you know, uh, who the do we got in the pipe? Yeah, the proverbial. Pipe. Uh, let's see. So Thanks, we speaking have... of pipe, real quick. Thank you for the Valvinus picture. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> no. In, in case no one knows, if you want to look this up, uh, if you want to see the the worst T-shirt ever put out by WWF, WWE, whatever, it was ninety seven, ninety eight. Valvinus had a shirt that said, "I am cocked." on the front and on the back it said locked and ready to unload Valvinus and it's written in semen. And if you want to see that, you should pull that up on uh, Google Images because <laughs> people don't really believe that existed. But I've never met somebody that actually owned one because I, you know, wrestling shirts gave one of those things like, I love a lot of these wrestling shirts and I love a lot of shirts in like New Orleans that says, you know, F U U effing F stuff like that. But I'm like, where am I going to wear that at? And that's how a lot of wrestling shirts are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. Like there was a long time where wrestling shirts just weren't cool. It didn't matter if I had Hogan on it or it's like, I'm not five. I'm not wearing a cartoon of Hogan ripping his shirt off. And you're sure. like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. So you had to kind of think about the audience when you, when you would buy the, uh, the t-shirt. But what about the next era where it was written in semen or it was like the hoe train or any of this stuff? It's like, where are you going to wear that? You know, church? Where are you going to wear that? I mean, but that was the 90s, dude. I mean, I used to wear a shirt that said like F this town or something like that because I hated my hometown and I saw it at Hot Topic and I'm like, I'm going to wear this shirt that says F this town. You know what I mean? And 90s were just wild, dude. We couldn't get away with anything. Oh, like, no. Today, no. like dress speak it doesn't matter 90s were it was like i remember was, seeing like i mean the things they would show on ecw it's like you're like a quarter of an inch away from this woman's vagina yeah you know because they're cat fighting they're wearing very skimpy underwear and it's like that would never happen today ever no the you're right i, I was gonna say anything before the 2000s was probably going to be considered like canceled now but 90s were probably the worst and it was because of the whole 
sort of the uh, growing of quote unquote reality television and its infancy, which was, you know, Jerry Springer cops yeah. stuff like that was yeah. very, was very like in your face more than anything you've ever seen at the time. But yeah, I mean the, the wrestling shirts then were just horrible, but anyway, yes. uh, coming down the proverbial pipe, uh, pike <laughs> is um, we talked to Craig Kieseman known as Niles Planquet, Uh And he was trained hey, hey, by brother. a long time central States wrestler, promoter referee named Sonny Myers now a lot of people don't remember Sonny because he he passed away a long time ago at this point but uh, he was a mainstay in the St. Joe area he was uh, incredibly liked by everyone that knew him he ended up being a sheriff up in uh, the county up there that he lived in and he had a long career he, he had a traveling carnival I mean Craig talks about training with him because Craig was not a student of the game when he was a child. He is now, but when he was a kid, he doesn't know a lot of, or he didn't at the time know a ton of history about wrestling, but training under Sonny Myers, who was a huge part of central States in the, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s. Uh, I, the only video I've really seen of Sonny Myers and that the latest video was when he was a referee and he would, uh, he would not get down to count to three. He would count to three like a like a horse, like <laughs> this foot, like one, two. Oh, okay. And like he would just like stomp his foot like Mr. Ed or whatever, you know. And uh, it was funny That's to awesome. see him do that. But and he got he was told he was like the slowest referee ever. But um, it didn't matter. He was a uh, he was a huge star in his day. And Craig talks about training with him. Talks about uh, training with him when he was sort of partnering up with Lord Littlebrook and like had all the midget wrestlers up there with him too, which would have been a wild scene if you're Craig Kiesman at you know 17 years old learning how to wrestle. And um, you know just talks about what he thought of the Central States area. And uh, I don't know. That's it. Sonny Myers to me is one of those guys that was sort of lost in some ways in history. And I, I want people to still talk about him. So we'll talk to him about that. Also, Rob Schamberger, as we heard in the interview, he gave me information on how to get a hold of Bob Geigel's daughter, because uh, I'd love to hear her perspective on growing up in Bob Geigel's house. And, oh, my and, gosh. And no having kidding. to live through all the all the pieces of his life, whether it was the NWA president. You know, he's on television for NWA, WCW back then or whatever. And then um, – you know, going through all everything he had to go through at Memorial Hall in Kansas City and friends with Harley and, you know, and gosh, I, I can Bulldog Bob Brown. I said, suppose I, I heard Bulldog Bob Brown was somehow involved in her wedding, which I mean, I, I'm, they all hang, you know, hung out together. Yeah. So I'm sure they did yeah. that. But uh, yeah, her father worked till he was like 88 years old. So I, wow. I would love to hear her perspective. And also uh, he gave me the number to J.J. Dillon who I guess worked in the office in central States in 1981. So I'd love to get his perspective on that. I've met JJ multiple times, but I've never talked to him about Kansas city. So looking forward to those. Nice. I would love if we can coordinate schedules, I would love to be on the interview with JJ Dillon. I probably won't oh, say yeah. much because I'll just sit there and be like, you, you managed four horsemen. Good. Oh, yeah. And then I I'll know. just, I'll just uh, phase out after that. All right, so we have come to our favorite port portion of the podcast where we will put Chris Goff under the limelight like he needs it, and we will uh, get to know him a little bit better. And here are your here's your menu today. Of course, Chris, we have Mount Rushmore. We have uh, what was uh, Mount Rushmore? Which one do we other do? Oh, the hot seat. And for your favorite holiday, this today we have Mardi Gras madness. Oh well, I have to do that. Okay, Mardi Gras madness. Of course. So Mardi Gras madness really only has to do with one word in that statement, and that's madness. So what uh, I want you to do is choose the three best Macho Man matches 
for people to watch and why? Oh man. Oh man. There's so many. Um, I know that's what, that's what makes it great. And I can see Macho Man being into Mardi Gras, by the way. I don't know why I just can (laughs) see being into it. Well, he would definitely be Macho Man. If he had on his most, uh, you know, colorful gear could walk down Bourbon street and no one would bat an eye. (laughs) Right. Is there, (laughs) uh, no, the thing about him, um, I, first of all, I'm a WWF boy, so I grew up on that. So I have no, uh, I haven't seen any matches in ICW, back in the day with his father's promotion, or really I didn't really watch when he was in his necessarily the heyday and well, either Memphis or WCW when he went, when he jumped ship. So, um, you know, the ones that obviously the biggest ones that everyone talks about, obviously WrestleMania three, uh, WrestleMania five, uh, the pinnacle of the arguably the greatest storyline in WWF history with the mega powers exploding. Um, those are like two of the biggest matches ever. Uh, in, in WWF history. And then, you know, ones that I really appreciated was um, I loved his match with the ultimate warrior. Me too. I was going to, I was hoping you were going to say that. I was hoping you were going to say that because the ultimate warrior usually didn't put on that great of a match, but that was a great what? match. He was, and it was obviously because of macho man. No, but uh, the ultimate warrior and macho man was, uh, I'm trying to remember what that was SummerSlam. I believe I mean, he, so. Yes. And it was, uh, and one that, you know, I'm thinking of these other ones that, that, uh, I remember so well. Um, I loved, I, I loved the macho King stuff where he would like, you know, oh my God. have like battles with hacksaw and whoever, you know, whoever else wanted to try to get that crown from. Him. And that was the end of the warrior uh, or the end of the King macho King was with the ultimate warrior. Yes. He, yes. Reuni- he reunited with, Elizabeth and all that kind of stuff. So the Mega Maniacs, did you ever watch and remember when he teamed up with the Ultimate Warrior and they were a tag team? Not the Mega Powers. They were called the Mega Maniacs. And I believe my friend and I were only talking about this. They only had, I think, maybe one or two televised matches together because they were in a tag match with IRS. And um, and that was that. I mean, if they money. Money, sorry, Money Inc. Money Inc. IRS and uh, and and Million Dollar Man. Yeah, uh, Money Inc. versus uh, Mega Maniacs, and the Mega Maniacs would have been so over with me if they would have stuck around, but they didn't because that was the era where you know Ultimate Warrior was in and out every six months, so uh, you didn't it didn't last long. But um, that was that would have been a fun one to see more of. I love the No Holds Barred match with uh, oh, a huge match yeah. for me as a child. Yeah, with uh, Hogan and Brutus the Barber versus Zeus, Zeus and Macho. And Macho yeah, and that's when <laughs> Sensational Sherry, Scary Sherry, was at her peak. I love that era. Of of, of uh wwf and uh finally like wrestlemania 10 i this isn't the greatest match of all time but that was the uh can you like leave the match it, that was him versus crush oh <laughs> and remember he yeah. tried to hang crush by his feet with that yes and yes. he tried and it was basically like who can get out of the, who can get back to the ring and so it's sort of a last man standing match but it was a weird Last man standing rules like basically he ran back to the ring and it, it didn't the contraption didn't really didn't work. work so crush was getting <laughs> I remember down. that and like basically if he can if the ref counted the ten before crush could get back to the ring uh, Macho won so um, you know there was uh, he had so many I mean Macho Man added so much he was such a unbelievable not character. a huge guy no no not but really. you would never know it because his personality was gigantic it and was. the fact. I, I mean, honestly, like you pointed out, 
he made everybody, most everybody that he worked with, because he worked with a lot of duds. Let's be real about it. He made everyone he worked with that was like that better. And even if they were above, quote unquote, his skill level, I, I really did enjoy his feud with Diamond Dallas Page. You said, you know, you didn't watch it in that era, but his feud with Diamond Dallas Page was really good. I really enjoyed, you know, of course he had lost a step and all that kind of stuff going into WCW. I think that was kind of the tail end of everything, but he was just so he made his punches. Everything he did was so damn good, you know? Yeah, no, he was, uh, he was fantastic. And I, I thought of him the other day, cause I don't know why the, the death of Lanny Poffo sort of, it bothered me because Lanny really? was like in such a, he was in such good shape and he was like a good dude. And, uh, he really loved his brother and his family. And, you know, Lanny just had like a, I don't know. I just, I, I always liked Lanny Poffo, like as a person. Um, I met him multiple times. I was going to say you, you actually met. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't have like a huge relationship with him or anything, but he was just like a dude that, um, I, I sort of, for some reason I, for booking purposes and like independent wrestling, I, I always followed him just because I was always like, I always thought it would be fun to have the genius come in and read a poem at a Metro pro show or something. Yeah, but you know, yeah. he wasn't necessarily going to be a huge draw for that reason or anything, but um, I followed him moving to Ecuador. And yeah. I was going to say like he a, moved to Ecuador, right? He had like a, I couldn't tell if it was going to be his new wife or if he just had a lot of like really young girlfriends over there, but he looked so young and he lost all his weight. And I was like, man, this guy has really found the fountain of youth in Ecuador. And like, you know, he's got, I, I think he has children and a, and a ex-wife in the country, in this country. So um, it wasn't like he had nothing here, but he basically just uprooted himself and was living his best life in another country. And then he came, I saw that, you know, I was, I'd always see his posts. He saw Wicked uh, at a Broadway show, like two days before he died, he's posting about it, being, being in the Gershwin theater. And then he passed away. It's just sort of, I don't know, it's just odd. Uh, I guess his brother also had a heart attack too. So I guess it ran in the family, but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, but enough about the genius. I'm not trying to bring him back to uh, but the, I was thinking of macho the other day, just for that reason. And he just, that family is just an unbelievable family. Not that they get forgotten and everything, but just, just the, you know, from his father to his brother, yeah. to him. I mean, like what and the loyalty that they all had towards each other and the, the real love that seemed to be shared, especially between those three, between Angelo, Lanny, and what was uh what was Randy's shoot name? Uh you're gonna make me wasn't it Randy Poffo? <laughs> was it Randy? I don't know. I believe I it was. Know. I believe it was Randy Poffo. But, but yeah, uh, the, the genuine love that they had for each other, you know, is really admirable. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned Lanny Poffo. He was known for something. Uh anyways. Something I wish I could do, but no. <laughs> uh but no, he the that whole family was fantastic and Macho Man. In that era of, you know, when he came to WWE in the mid 80s to when he left to go to WCW and, you know, 93 ish, 94 ish. I mean, he was, an, I mean, obviously top. What what would you say to a WWF fan? If they named the top guys ever in WWE, he's going to be in the top five, if not top three. Yeah. I mean, when I, I talk, so. when I talk to non-wrestling fans, they go, actually, yeah, they go Hogan, Hogan Jake the Snake. They go, remember the guy that came out with the snake? Oh my God. Is, he's is he still around. Uh, Macho and then Undertaker are the four that I really can say. People go, dude, I used to watch the guy that was like dead and he, like, you know, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, yeah. They, and that kind of goes to actually your, your thing of like, you know, characters and being a WWF guy. When you ask wrestling fans at large who haven't been wrestling fans, they never go, you know, what happened to. 
uh, Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. You know, no one ever says that, and I they, right. it's because they're boring. That's why. I mean, like <laughs> it's like they're really good wrestlers and they're great dudes. Like Arn Anderson's a great dude, great dude. Uh, but uh, but the they're just not flashy, and that's that's not what Arn Anderson was. That's not what NWA WCW was at that time. Yeah, so I get yeah. it. Yeah. I, I totally understand, but that was the reason why I like WWF because as a child, which is what it was geared towards, and that's right. why people love WWF. Is uh, I went towards the people that were more colorful, and that was WWF. So, yeah. um, you know, Macho Man, you couldn't get more colorful than him. Him, Dusty Rhodes, Hogan. Uh, you know, Jake was yeah. Jake had a snake, and he was very like he cut some awesome promos. He wasn't as colorful as those guys, but I mean, he you know he, when he got thinks- older. He thinks Kenny Omega is the greatest wrestler of all time. Well, he's getting paid by the company that employs Kenny Omega as an EVP. So I understand why he says that. Arn Anderson also says the greatest company he's ever worked for. So I, you know, when you, it it happened, this is a thing you'll see in wrestling, Gabe. Anyone that works for wrestling companies, since there's only two that pay well in the entire globe, uh, they always say really good things about their company until they go. And then they're like, they're the worst. Yeah. You know, let me play Yo-Yo as uh, superstar Billy Graham. I mean, oh, oh, you made my rent check this week. Oh, I I love WWE. It's the best place. And then it's like, no, we didn't pay you this week. I hate, they're the worst. They made me take drugs. Okay. I mean, like. still alive? He is. He is. Oh, man. All right. Well, that'll wrap it up for this week's episode of the worst territory in the world. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Don't forget to leave us a five-star rating if you haven't already. And uh, that way we can get more noticed in the uh, algorithms and in the YouTube or the uh, iTunes charts, all that kind of stuff. And leave us a review while you're at it. Tell us how how great me and Chris are and how (laughs) our chemistry is just through the roof. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next week right here on the worst territory in the world.